Well, thank you so much for being here this morning, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here with you. I enjoyed very much the opportunity to study with you in the last hour from the 18th chapter of Ezekiel's prophecy. And uh, as we're gathered for this period of worship this morning, I want to spend just a few moments focusing our, our minds and our hearts on the amazing aspect of worship, the amazing aspect of God whom we worship. There are things in, uh, in life that really capture our attention along the way and things that cause us to just take a deep breath and step back as, as we see a magnificent sight for, uh, for the very first time. I, I remember years ago when I was uh, in a meeting down in the in the state of Florida, there was a night launch of uh, 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 from uh, Cape Canaveral, and, and uh, we had the opportunity to get some tickets and go over to a special place to to watch the launch. It was uh, just across the uh, the marshes there from the launch pad, and uh, it was about two o'clock in the morning. The launch was going to take place, and there was a very festive occasion going on with. Uh, lots of folks who were gathering there, uh, getting ready for the launch. And, and uh, as the loudspeaker began counting down uh, the last five minutes, little by little, there was a hush that fell across that entire area. The lights went out. It was completely dark. You could hear them going uh, 10, 9, 8. And you could just feel the tension as it was. And suddenly... There was a noise unlike anything I have ever heard in my life. And the sky just lit up like daytime as that, as that NASA rocket uh, began its launch. It was something spectacular to see. But I dare say that all of those kinds of life experiences pale in significance and in comparison to that overwhelming sense of all that we have when we come into the presence of the living God. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of the book of Exodus in chapter 20. I'm reminded of the people of God when they have gathered together at the base of Mount Sinai and God is going to speak to his people. And all the folks are gathered there. And the text says in verse 18 of Exodus chapter 20, uh, that the people perceived the thundering and the lightning and the voice of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And the people, when they saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us, but don't let God speak with us lest we die. I, I, I'm saying to you that there was something about the presence of God on that mount. There was something about that. that the, the earth was shaking and, and the mountain was smoking and the thunder was rolling and the lightning was flashing and there was the voice of the trumpet and it was an awesome occasion and the people said, don't let God speak to us lest we die. In Exodus, the sixth chapter, excuse me, Isaiah, the sixth chapter, 
The prophet Isaiah is receiving his commission as a prophet, and he is recalling for us the turn of events as they were taking place. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. There's beautiful imagery there because King Uzziah has died on earth and on earth, the earthly throne was empty for the moment, but in heaven, it was clear that God was on his throne. The rule of God had not changed, even if the earthly throne was empty. And he said, I saw God, the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up his train, filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two his feet, with two he did fly. And one, and one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I cried out, Woe is me! I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. So awesome, the presence of God and His glory, that Isaiah was immediately overwhelmed with his own sinfulness and unworthiness. Woe is me. In the Revelation, back at home in Spring Hill, on the south side of Nashville there, uh, at the Rolling Hills Church, we're studying the book of Revelation in our adult class. And in the, in the opening, in the preamble to the Revelation, you remember that John is introducing the Christ as... The Pantocrator of the world, the, the Roman emperor thought of himself and actually identified himself as Pantocrator. But John is introducing Jesus as the true Pantocrator, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God Almighty who rules. And John begins to describe Jesus on that occasion. He wants them to see Jesus among them. Jesus clothed in the robe, in his judicial garb, tied with the golden sash. He is priestly in his conduct. He is walking among the golden lampstands, the golden candlesticks, representing the seven churches of Asia Minor. With eyes of flaming fire, he is discerning the character of each church. And out of his mouth proceeded this sharp, two-edged sword. And then he began to speak. And when he spoke, John said, it was like the voice of many waters of rushing waters. And he said in verse 17, and when I saw him, I turned and saw him and I fell at his feet like a dead man. So awesome was that sight. Ladies and gentlemen, how is it possible that God's people struggle to show reverence toward God in our worship assemblies? How is it 
possible. The children of Israel at Mount Sinai, when they realized they were in the presence of God, are fearing and trembling, begging Moses, you speak to us, don't let him speak, lest we die. Isaiah, when he realizes he is in the presence of God, is overwhelmed with his unworthiness. And he is saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of an unclean people. And John said, I'm telling you, when I turned and I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And you're telling me that we struggle to humble our hearts, to bow our heads, to focus on the Christ. It's a dangerous thing to do things over and over again and to lose our sense of awe and appreciation for it. It happened to God's people. It happened to them often. And for that reason, I think God continually warns us about that problem. You remember in the Leviticus, the 10th chapter, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they offered to God a strange fire, a, a fire that God had not commanded them. And because they had been casual and careless and irreverent in offering this worship to God. You recall that God sent fire from heaven and he consumed them in the sight of the people. And immediately God speaks to Aaron. And Moses comes. And he says to Aaron, your sons who have just died before the Lord, this is what happened. And this is what God said. I will be sanctified in them that come near me. And before all of my people, I will be glorified. And ladies and gentlemen, you, you might think, that this was a really big deal being made about a very little fire. But I'm saying to you this morning that the worship of God is not about the fire. And the anger of God was not merely about the fire. The fire was merely the representative of the problem. And the problem was they had lost their sense of awe and respect for the word of the living God. That was the problem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, a very similar situation where the Ark of the Covenant has been removed from its proper place. It's been used like some kind of idol, like some kind of religious icon taken into battle so that good luck would follow them and their God would bless them. And God abhorred that kind of uh, of practice. He abhorred that kind of idolatry being made of the holy vessels. And you remember David now is trying to relocate 
the Ark of the Covenant back to its proper place. But even David has not yet learned the message. And the Ark is being placed on a new cart and it's being brought back to the Lord. Not carried according to the words of the law. Not carried by the priests with the poles, not touching it according to the words of the law. But they devised a way to bring it back. And you remember that on the way, as they passed through, that the oxen stumbled and the cart tilted and the ark, as it could have fallen in in this occasion, the ark unsteady. What was stabilized when Uzzah reached forth his hand to steady the ark and when Uzzah's hand touched the ark of God, God struck him dead on the spot. Somebody says, well, why did Uzzah die? He, he wasn't trying to do wrong. He, he didn't mean to, uh, to violate the law. And, and he was trying to, do, he, he had good intentions. He was trying to do a good thing. And, and he didn't even put a scratch on the ark. Listen to me, folks. It's not about the ark. It is about the living God who gave the instructions about the ark. And the problem is that Uzzah and many others had lost their sense of awe. In the days of Malachi, the post-captivity period, you recall that God is complaining about the perfunctory exercises of worship that are being offered to him. God said, what in the world is going on here? You're bringing to me the blind, the lame, the broken. What, what are you doing? You're calling this worship? You call this sacrifice? God said, I'll tell you something. Go pay your taxes with that. You go pay your debts with that. See how good that currency spends somewhere else. You're not making a sacrifice to me, God said. You're bringing me the junk. You're bringing me the leftovers. You're bringing me the stuff that you were throwing out anyway. God said, I wish somebody would take the keys and lock the door. The problem was, for them, worship had become a perfunctory thing. And they had lost their sense of awe for the living God. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? There was a great need in the church in Jerusalem because of the, uh, of the saints uh, who were there, the number of saints who had stayed over from Pentecost, and there was a great, uh, a great benevolent need. Their people were selling houses and lands and bringing the money to the apostles, and distribution was being made, and this great benevolent crisis that was taking place there. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land. Everybody else was doing it. They were liquidating a, 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 an asset, and they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. A couple of things we should note. Number one, God never commanded them to do that. And secondly, even after they sold the land, they didn't have to give all the money. But here's the problem. 
They wanted everyone to see them and to think that they were making that gift, that they were making that offering, that they were making that great sacrifice. In reality, they kept back part of the price of the land for themselves. And when when Peter confronts Ananias about this, he said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land. Why have you lied about this? You have come, you have made your offering, and yet you lied about it. Why? It was yours even after you sold it. The cash was yours. Why did you lie about it? Don't you understand He said, you've not lied unto men, but unto God. Here's the problem, Ananias. You forgot who you're talking to here. You have lost your sense of awe. You're not talking to men. You're not impressing men. You are not giving first and foremost for the benefit of men. You are giving For the glory of God. His wife came in later. Told the same lie. And suffered the same death. Can can you imagine that? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen this morning as the collection plates went around? First person drops a check in. Bang! Falls over. Wow. Wow. Usher takes one, some people come and help him get out, takes the plates and passes it on the next out. Bang! Somebody else falls over. All of a sudden you hear this rustle and people are pulling out wallets, pulling out... What? What's the problem? The text says, and great fear came over the whole church. Are you kidding? God's striking people dead while they're singing, while they're praying, while they're giving. Makes an impression. Our loss of a sense of awe for the living God shows up in three areas generally. It shows up, first of all, in our attitude toward worship. It shows up in our attitude about coming to worship, about arriving on time, about arriving fresh, about being rested and ready and prepared. We're so concerned when it's test week for our children, getting them in bed, making sure that they've had a good supper, they go to bed on time, that they have a good breakfast, that they're ready to take their... We're coming to worship God here, folks. There's something a little more important than testing going on. And and then to come. And worship is such an individual thing. You remember this morning in Ezekiel we talked about, nobody's going to heaven riding in on the coattails of their spouse or their child or their parents or, or whatever. We don't worship that way either. Can you imagine what would happen to us if every time we let our minds wander... During our worship, this is supposed to be a devotion of our hearts and minds and our souls to God. 
and we're thinking about the game, we're thinking about the lunch, we're thinking about the problem, we're thinking about the job. Can you imagine if every time that happened, something from heaven got our attention? Worship. Finally, we become indifferent about it. When we lose our sense of awe for worship, it becomes a perfunctory thing for us. And when perfunctory things go on for a time, they become less and less essential and important. We need to be careful that we not lose our sense of awe for the living God when we are collectively offering our worship to Him. Secondly, our loss of a sense of awe for God shows up not only in our worship, it shows up in our attitude Toward worship, it shows up in our attitude toward sin. A person cannot constantly and consistently live in, in rebellion and with a no big deal attitude. Somebody said, well, I, I, I'll tell you something. I know, I know this is not right. I know I ought not to be doing this. I know that this is a problem, but come, come on. Come on. I mean, everybody's got something, you know. Just... Just chill. Chill. Really? When, when, for a Christian, when sin becomes something that is no big deal, it's an indication that there's a very serious heart problem. That is well progressed. It's not possible for a Christian to keep in his life personal and pet and private sin that they coddle, that they, you know, it's just their thing. It's not like they're proud of it. It's not like they're not trying to justify it, but, you know, this is their thing. And, Let me say something to you this morning. How dare we focus our minds and hearts on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ given on Calvary? How dare we look at that and then say to God, no big deal. The cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of the cross was all about sin. And I'm saying to you this morning that sin is a big deal. And when we lose our sense of awe for God, it generally shows up in a, in a lost attitude toward worship and in a wrong attitude toward sin. And finally, it's going to show up in a wrong attitude toward truth. The, the person who has lost his sense of awe for God has certainly lost his sense of awe and respect for the words that proceed from the mouth of the living God. A person who can casually respond to the inspired word of God with an attitude of, well, you know, I, I just don't think that really matters. Who are you? 
God said that. How is it possible that a mere human being can can just casually brush aside that principle with a I just don't think that matters. I don't think God would mind. I don't think God would care. I don't think this is so. I want to say something to you this morning. If we maintain in our hearts the proper sense of awe and respect for the living God, and if we cultivate in our hearts that continuing love and appreciation for the cross of Christ, it is absolutely essential for us that we then deal carefully and conscientiously with the words that proceed from his mouth. I'm saying to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that if we've lost our proper attitude toward truth, it means that we're not seeing God the way that we ought to see God. Because I'm saying to you this morning, truth matters. Truth matters, and it matters supremely because of him from whom truth emanates. Truth matters because it is the word of God. And anyone who is disrespectful of truth is disrespectful of God. It matters. And so this morning as we think about that and we think about our sense of awe for God. I have to tell you, I've, <clears throat> I've been in places at times where the worship environment was such, I, I really don't even know what to say about Spiritually, if you could dial nine one one, you just you just had this urge to call for emergency help because there's no sign of life. Have you ever been in a worship assembly where the prayers were being prayed, but somehow it just didn't even seem that we understood who we were? Addressing or talking to. And the songs were being sung, songs about heaven, but we sounded so sad. It just seemed nobody was thinking about going. Or, or we, were talk, we, we were speaking to one another, but instead of encouragement, it seemed otherwise. And you just wonder, okay, here's, here's what needs to happen. If God would just zap us with one little lightning bolt through the auditorium. Just a little wisp of smoke. One loud clap of thunder. Wow. Maybe if he would just shake the pews just a little bit. 
Wow, that would wake everybody. Wow, that would get our attention. Wow, we could get focused then. I want to tell you, that's so naive to think that way. We would not. You know how I know that? Because years ago, God shook the whole earth and the mountain trembled and the smoke billowed and the lightning was flashing and the thunder was rolling. And it wasn't any time at all that those people lost their sense of awe for God. It's a discipline. It's an attitude of heart that we cultivate day by day. It's one of the reasons we come together on a regular basis. And it's one of our joys this morning. One of our great privileges on the first day of the week to be in the company of those who share with us the common faith in Jesus Christ. They carry with us throughout the week the banner of the Lord into a lost and dying world. They shine the light of truth and the gospel into a world of darkness and we can see the beacon of truth as it's shining forth from their household, from their families, from their children. We come together and we sing together and we pray together and we eat the supper of the Lord together declaring that we are one with Him and we are one with each other and we are one in Christ as His body. Children of God who are crying, Abba, Father, together. We're making this journey day by day. You helping me and I'm helping you. Holding hands, lifting each other up and we are going home. And one day, one day, we're going to hear the archangel shout and the trumpet is going to sound and the heavens are going to open and the Son of Man is going to appear. And that, ladies and gentlemen is going to be a great day. A great day. And until that time, we come together on a regular basis to give honor and pay tribute to the living God who has redeemed us from our sins. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ and given yourself to Him in obedience, would you this morning come before this assembly and with your own mouth make your confession and as your heart is turned away from sin and turned to the Lord, would you be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? And if you are a child of God, who has somewhere along the way lost your sense of awe for God, and if you're not walking with Him at this moment, if like the prodigal you have been to the far country, our prayer for you today is that you would come back home to the loving embrace of a father who's waiting for his children. Won't you come while we stand and sing?